middle schoolers, you are dismissed as they'll be heading upstairs with Miss Eileen and Luke and Ashley having their lessons. The rest of us, we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. So if you'll turn there to chapter 5, the book of Ephesians. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible so you can study God's Word with us. We're going to cover the text, verses 1 through 7, as we continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians. We've covered the first four chapters. I don't know about you, but uh, I sure have enjoyed this study in the book of Ephesians. And this has been a study that is very rich, very much of a blessing for you and for me. And I pray that this morning it continues to be a tremendous blessing to you, even though we're going to be talking about some things that perhaps are not popular to talk about uh, in the church today, uh, but it's God's truth and God's truth to be applied to us so that we can experience the joy and the peace and the abundant life that he has for you and for me. And you recall that when we opened up chapter 4, we began to see and be instructed in how we are to walk worthy of the calling in which we have been called. That's the emphasis of this epistle in the last three chapters, in chapters 4, 5, and 6. After we spent the first three chapters, as you know, talking about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And it's important for us as we were taken into the heavenlies to sit in the heavenlies, that we learn how to sit first, and then this is how you walk with Christ. This is the blessings that you have in Jesus. You've been chosen. You've been forgiven. You've been adopted. You have an eternal inheritance. You have been rescued by Jesus, made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works. It's the gift of God. Thus, anyone should boast. And you were created to be his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works. And you're all part of this wonderful thing that is called the church and in the body of Christ, which is referred to as the holy temple to God. And that holy temple to God is a very unique and privileged thing that we belong to. And, and you're no longer strangers and foreigners to the things of God, but you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we just saw blessing after blessing that you and I get to experience and have because we're followers and believers in Jesus Christ, because we put our faith and trust in him. And then the apostle in chapter 4, he then begins this section that uh, will take us to the end of the book, and this is now how you walk with Christ. And here's the thing to remember, that we cannot say amen to chapters 1, 2, and 3 the spiritual blessings that are ours, and just that. And then to chapters 4, 5, and 6, as we're instructed in how it is that we are to, to walk with the Lord, uh, that we say, mm, I'm not so sure that's for me. So I pray that this morning that we would be teachable before the Lord, that our hearts would be soft, and we would have a desire to hear truth, because I want you to know this. That every commandment of the Lord given to you and to me is an expression of his love. And is not burdensome to you and to me. That's 1 John chapter 5. That he desires to give us truth, the truth of his word, so that you and I can experience salvation in the best sense of the word, meaning not only are we just going to heaven, but the blessings of the Lord are ours in this world because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it's not burdensome to you and to me as we know these truths. So verse 1, we begin the chapter by reading, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Father, I do pray that this morning 
that as we open up your word, as, as we get settled in our seats, that we would truly do that, that we'd be just free from distractions. We want to be able to focus on your word, what is being taught. And as I pr- mentioned, Lord, our prayers that our hearts are soft before you, that we're teachable. And knowing that you love us, and, and because of your love for us, you're going to give us truth. It's, it's not the trend of societies that establishes truth. It's your word. So we're privileged to take in your word and to apply it in our lives as where we need help, Lord. So I pray that to this morning that we would know that you desire to do that work as well. So we give you this time in the study of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So he says, therefore, and remember that when Paul uses that word, therefore, he points back to the previous thought that he just has written about, and that is, this is what you put on. This is how you treat others. And, and we saw that in, in verse 32 of chapter 4, ending the chapter last week, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we're told that, that Christ has freely forgiven us. You see, when we come to Jesus in faith, And we ask for forgiveness. The Lord doesn't answer or respond by saying, well, I'll think about it. Or I'll get back with you later. We know that the Word of God declares to you and to me that we are ones, that we are freely forgiven. Christ has forgiven us. So he says here in verse 32 of chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. We've been freely forgiven, and we are to forgive others is what we are to do. Now, as we've discussed quite extensively in our previous studies in Psalms and even in this book, that there can be, you know, as we're told the commandment to forgive, it can be difficult. It can be a hard thing that the Lord has told us to do. When we've been hurt, when we've been cut deep, when we've been betrayed, Perhaps that, that something uh, that has brought very much difficulty into our lives. And we know that the scripture tells us of the imperative to forgive. It's, it's not a suggestion. It is a commandment. But here's the thing that we need to remember. As we are told to forgive, even as Christ has forgiven us, God has forgiven us freely through Jesus Christ. We are told to forgive. Don't look at it as, you know, or have the mindset that it's, given to us this commandment to be some kind of burden to us Uh, so it can make our lives miserable so we can go through life feeling like we're in bondage and and it causes difficulty in our lives no not at all forgiveness yes can be difficult and that's why in our own energies and our own you know tendencies we can't do it on our you know own you know human fleshly efforts we have to go to the lord and say lord i need help in this area I need help in forgiving that person, these people, in this situation. And we do it over and over again, and we do it bit by bit. And the Lord will help us in forgiving others, truly forgiving others in our heart, because it's the work that God does in us and through us. So we go to the Lord. Lord, i got to be honest, in the honesty of my heart, and that's what the Lord requires of us, to just in the honesty of our own hearts say, Lord, I'm having a difficult time here. To forgive, and the reason that the Lord wants us to forgive, because continued unforgiveness leads to things such as bitterness and being angry in your heart and, and then coming to wrath and then being in bondage to that. 
And it is a loving father that tells us, I want you to forgive just as I've forgiven you. I want you to be imitators of God because it's going to free you. And it's going to help you. And you're going to experience that joy and that peace that you've been robbed of. It was Peter in the Gospels, as you know, that would say to Jesus, how often should I forgive a brother? Seven times? And I think that perhaps that Peter said that because he's trying to be spiritual. Seven times, Lord? And the Lord says, Peter, no, seven times 70. Now, I don't think that the Lord was giving Peter a math quiz. Seven times 70, you see, 490, that's how many times? The point was, is that the Lord is saying you're to keep on forgiving. God doesn't want us to lose our joy. He doesn't want us to lose that peace that passes understanding. He doesn't want us to be bound up in anger and malice and bitterness and attitudes that are hurtful for you and for me. And we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. We've been going through the Psalms. There was a period of time, as you read about in 2 Samuel, that David went through a time where his son Absalom came against him and took the throne away from him. You know the story. We don't have time to go into it, but Absalom was very bitter towards his father because of something that happened in the family, and and he felt like his father didn't deal with it uh, in the way that he should have. And, And so Absalom, over the years, became bitter and angry towards his father, and he plotted and he schemed and and he made a plan I'm going to take the throne and as we even read in in Psalm 66 that as David is writing about that time that they scheme and they plot and they search for iniquity and here's Absalom he he's stealing the hearts of the men of Israel and he's saying my dad shouldn't be the king and and he's done this and he's done that and the bitterness would flow from him and grow in him and the anger And then it was David's trusted advisor, Ahithophel. We've talked about him as well. And and for those of you who don't know who Ahithophel was, he was very close to David. And he too got bitter towards David over the years. And, And David writes about that in Psalm 55. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you. It was you, Ahithophel, my trusted advisor, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. And we took sweet counsel together in the house of God in the throng. You see, the scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, that Ahithophel, when he gave advice to David, it was like he was speaking the oracles of God. He was a godly wise man, and I know that's why David was so close to him, because David was a man after God's own heart, and here was a man that advised him as though he had the oracles of God, and and he became bitter towards David over the years, and he joins in with his son Absalom in this rebellion, and you might be thinking, well, why did Ahithophel become bitter? Because he had a granddaughter named Bathsheba, and they took counsel together, feeding on each other, Yeah, David did this to my granddaughter and killed her husband Uriah. And and my dad did this and he didn't deal with this. And they come into Jerusalem. And David and his mighty men, they left. And David writes those psalms in Psalm 61, 62, 63, 66, and other psalms that he's writing as a father who's brokenhearted, as a man who's been betrayed by his trusted advisor. And as he does, he realizes it's because of bitterness as they shoot the arrows of bitter words as 
David would write in the Psalms. Well, Ahithophel, as you know, he gives advice to Absalom. Hey, Absalom, as David left Jerusalem, let me go after David and I will kill him. I will deal with him. Let me go tonight. Well, Hushai was the other advisor that David had sent and God was working. And Hushai said, don't do that, Absalom, because David's like a bear with cubs. You need to gather all the men, this great army, and go against his mighty men. And Absalom said, I'll take your advice, Hushai. And Ahithophel knew that that advice of his being rejected, that Absalom would be defeated. He goes out and he hangs himself. Absalom, what happened to him? He's fighting against David's men. He gets his long flowing hair. He was Absalom one that was about spot or blemish, like a Fazio or something like that, you know? Really. And he had a chariot with 50 runners and all this. He was model material and all this. Well, he's on his donkey and his hair gets caught up in the tree. And David's general, Joab, used him for target practice. You continue in bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, you're going to get hung up. You're going to get hung up in those attitudes that will bind you up and and keep you bound. So the word of God comes along, the Apostle Paul, he writes something very simple but very powerful. You be imitators, therefore. Just as God has forgiven you, be tender-hearted, kind, having mercy towards others, With all lowliness of mind, you remember in chapter 4, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. This is how you become imitators of God. Now, one more point that I'd like to to make, which is a very important point, and then we'll move on. You cannot imitate someone. That word imitate literally means to mimic. You're going to mimic Christ. Remember Paul said to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying, look to me instead of Christ. You look to me as I imitate Christ. But you cannot pattern your life after someone unless you know them intimately. Unless that person is in front of you constantly. A great example of that is what? Children with their parents, right? Children with their uh, grandparents. They will mimic us in a lot of different ways. I saw a picture uh, not long ago of, of a father who's mowing the lawn and their little three-year-old son's behind with a little toy mower. We see that, don't we? Or perhaps you're driving dad and, and they're, you know, your son's in the back seat. He's driving as well. But our children will mimic us. They'll imitate us in more ways than not. Now, when our children imitate us, it can be a good thing Or it can be a bad thing. So the question is, what do your children, or in any state that you're in, the people that are linked to you in your life, what do they see in us? And how we live, how we speak honestly, what do they see in us? What do they see, and how do they see, and dads, and how you work, and how you speak to your wife and treat your wife? your conversations? What is it that you're involved in? What is it that you talk about? I remember years ago when I was young and in ministry, I had this couple in front of me, and I hadn't had much experience at all in counseling couples, and the dad was going on and on about a teenage son, and he's got an attitude, and he's disrespectful, and he, this and that and this, and she sat there quietly, her hands in 
her lap, and finally I turned to her, and I said, well, what do you think? And she looked at me, and she looked at him, and she said, my son's just like him. And his jaw dropped, my jaw dropped. I'm thinking, okay, this can of worms have just been let out. How am I going to get all these worms back in the can and get the lid back on? She said, he's just like him. He acts just like him. He's disrespectful to me. He talks like that. And you see, I think it's an honest evaluation for you and for me to see, are we imitating Christ? Oh, we all fall short. I know that. But it is sad in the world today, particularly our young people, that want to imitate those of the world because they have fame, and they have popularity, they have prestige, and yet they live a lifestyle that is so immoral or weird or bizarre. And I pray that people can look at you and me and our children, particularly moms and dads and grandparents, that they see the goodness of the Lord in our lives, how much the Lord means to us, and that we would share that with them. That they would see in our lives that we are walking in a way that pleases the Lord and that it would be a wonderful example to them. You see, I get parents that will bring their kids and here, here we want our kids to learn some morals, which is great. If, if kids come, we will teach them the love of Jesus Christ. We will give them the gospel. We will do the best. But what about you at home? What kind of example are you giving to them? Because it will affect them and they will learn from you. So Paul here is saying something very important as we open chapter 5. You be imitators of Christ. That's what's important, that, that you are to be ones to know the Lord, know Him intimately, as we talked about last week, how we have heard Him, been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. And then verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So how do we imitate Christ? Well, first of all, in love. The pattern of love that we're to walk in is the love of Christ. Love that is marked by the fact that he gives himself for us or gave himself for us. A sacrificial love, that agape love. We could spend the rest of the morning talking about that in and of itself. You know, one of the things that as we talk about this again, told to put off the anger, the bitterness, the wrath, the clamor, the evil speaking, don't live as the unbelievers do. Don't speak the corrupt words. And we're to put it off where your spiritual lives suffer. Relationships are strained and severed. We become bondage to those attitudes and things. We're told to forgive and to love because, first of all, as we're told in verse 2, Christ has loved us. Remember Paul's prayer in, in chapter 3, that you may know, be rooted and grounded in his love and comprehend what is the width and the depth and the length and the height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, his undescribable, unsearchable, incredible, unconditional love for you and for me. And he proved his love, second of all, as he gave himself. You know the verse of Romans chapter 5, verse 8? that he proved his love, demonstrated his love for you and for me, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for me when I got my act together. Or, Jeff, you know, you seem like a spiritual person. I think I'll love you now. He loved us in our sinful state and proved his love for us as he came and died for you and for me specifically. And Paul here in verse 2 knows that he writes that 
Christ gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and aroma. In other words, we discussed this on Wednesday night when we were in Psalm 66, when the psalmist is writing about that time where the nation's going through difficulty and, and, and the difficulties they were going through is, is like going through a refining fire. You see, when we go through trials, there's a refining process that takes place in you and me. Refining like gold and silver that is refining the fire and the, the goldsmith heats up the, the metal and then would just scrape off the dross, the impurities, until that metal was pure. That's the kind of work that God wants to do in the trials and difficulties that we go through, that you become a sweet-smelling aroma. It feels like maybe the trial that I'm going through, the difficulties, the challenges, you know, I feel like I'm being burnt and the smoke going up. Uh, remember, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord as you're trusting in Him as you're praising him and looking to him and standing on his promises. And we discussed on Wednesday night, sometimes we'll walk out of here on Wednesday night and you can smell the steaks and the ribs from Texas Roadhouse down here. Sweet smell and aroma. And when the scripture talks about that, that it's just speaking about it's pleasing to the Lord. The psalmist writes, as I give my, my burnt offering to you, as a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, that worshiper would bring that animal there to the priest, and the animal would be sacrificed, burnt completely upon that altar. And it symbolized that that worshiper says, I'm consecrating myself completely to you, Lord. I'm giving myself completely to you, all of me. And as, again, and I feel, uh, or, you know, I apologize for being a little bit redundant for you who have been here on Wednesday nights, but we have discussed that a lot of sermons today in the church is about having balance in life, how to have a balanced life, kind of like, here's, Christianity is this part of your life, and then you got this part, this part, this part, this part, this part. Listen, you'll never have true balance if you think of it in that way. You want to have real balance in your life? Then Jesus is preeminent over every area of your life. Every single area of your life. He is number one. He is supreme. And he's the one that truly is the Lord over every area of our lives. So as we give ourselves, consecrate ourselves completely to the Lord, a living sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord as we are forgiving, as we are loving one another. And that's what Paul is writing here, just as Christ gave himself for us, a sweet smell and aroma unto the Lord. And so, talking about love, walking in love, here's a little assignment that I've given to you before, but I think it's worth doing every once in a while. And here's the assignment. Go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know that chapter, don't we? It speaks of God's love. And in that chapter, it talks about the description, a comprehensive description of God's love. Love suffers long, is kind, does not envy, doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, behave rudely, seek its own, provoked, thinks no evil. Now, if you go through there, everywhere it has the word love, agape love, and you put Jesus' name in there, it doesn't do any damage to the text, does it? That he's kind, he suffers long, he has been with me. You're not puffed up, doesn't envy. You put Jesus' name in there where there's love, it fits in perfectly. Now, here's the challenge. Me, you, let's put our names in there. Let's see what it does to the text. And then we can see how we're doing in that whole area of love. 
So we're to love and walk in that love. Jesus said that it's the greatest commandment. You're to love one another as I have loved you, he told his disciples. Let's move on to verse 3. But fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting but rather given of thanks. Why would this be in a section of love? I'll tell you why. Because God's love is unconditional, unselfish, forgiving, self-sacrificing. The world's definition of love is lustful, sinful, self-seeking. God's love is to give. The world's love is how much I can get. And it's interesting that oftentimes we can think that the opposite of love is what? Hate, right? And it is. But here we see in the context of what the apostle is writing is that the opposite of love is lust. Fornication, all uncleanness, it's, it's not true love. And a person, listen, who entices another into the act of fornication or uncleanness, which speaks of sexual sin, they are not thinking nor considering what is best for that other person spiritually, but they are wanting to fulfill their desires and lust. And we need to understand this as Christians, that God's Word declares very clearly that any act of fornication, uncleanness, or adultery is an unloving act. Even though society and people will come to you and to me and say, well, hey, you know, we, we do love each other. We, it seems so right, people will say. And it is such a deception of Satan to think that it's an act of love to do that. When it's not an act of love, listen, write this down in your margins or get it into your mind, and more importantly, into your heart. True love doesn't cause others to sin. True love does not cause others to sin. And because of sexual sin and what society has to say about it, and accepts it, and it's creeping into the church more and more, how many people have been deeply hurt because of that deception? The world's definition of love. How many marriages destroyed? How many families have been fractured and even ministries that have been lost because of sexual sin? And lust is blind, unable to see the consequences of sin. And notice in verse 3 that fornication, all uncleanness, is related to covetousness, which is wanting something or someone that does not belong to you. So when someone says, I want intimacy, I want that person, physical intimacy, outside of the marriage relationship, they are coveting. I want them. And it's taking and it's selfish and it is sin. When it comes to sexual relationship with someone outside the marriage, the scripture is clear that that is reserved for the marriage relationship between a man and a woman who have committed to each other in that marriage covenant. We are to never, the scripture says, covet another person. I want them. I want to be involved with them intimately. I know they belong perhaps to another in marriage, but they're having a hard time in their marriage, and their spouse is acting like a jerk, and, and we're getting close. And I think that we're falling in love with each other. And I think we can make it work. And you're taking advantage of that. And the Apostle Paul writes, let not that be even named among you. It's not to be fitting for a believer to have that mindset. 
Well, they're not married. So what's the big deal? What are you uptight about, Pastor? And you're involved with somebody outside that marriage relationship. Know this, that God's word says it is sin. When you desire to have relations with them, physical relations, sexual relations, you're covered that person. You're involved in sexual sin. And you're causing them to be involved in it. And they don't belong to you in that kind of relationship till you get married, until you make that decision for the both of you. And until then, you keep yourselves pure, is what God's word very clearly says. Well, I don't want to marry them, I just want to have some fun. Then you are taken away from someone who will someday perhaps marry them and make that commitment. And you are taking something so intimate that it is to be enjoyed between two people in the marriage relationship. You are ripping them off. Of somebody who may come along and make that commitment, you're stealing from them. And it's wrong. And again, there may be some that might be here, you know what, Pastor, you're kind of strong on this. Are you judgmental? Are you uptight? Listen, are you a mean pastor? I know I'm sounding a little bit strong and firm on this, and I'm not being judgmental. And I'm not being uptight. And I really am a nice person. I really am. <laughs> but the church isn't standing on this firm. A lot of the church isn't. And a lot of the church and a lot of pastors are saying, it's okay, and we don't want to talk about it, and God loves you the way that you are. Yes, he loves you the way that you are, but I remember hearing somebody say a long time ago, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And I care enough for my sheep here at Calvary Chapel that I want to give you truth and love. That the enemies will come along and society comes along and... and says it's okay, it's acceptable, God's word doesn't apply anymore, and so that gives Satan just a lot of, you know, opportunities to lay these traps for us. And that's why we come to the word of God. Paul the apostle, sitting there in the city of Rome 2,000 years ago with chains on him, writing this letter, is saying that you be imitators of Christ. And you are to forgive one another, be kind, and, and know this, that you are to walk in love and put away these things. It's not even to be named among you. You walk in that purity, and that's where you're going to experience freedom and blessing. The Lord has the best for you and for me, for every single one of us. And please remember that, that His commandments are what? Not burdensome, but an expression of His love to you. Because he doesn't want you to be bound up and hurt by sin and iniquity and deception. We learn of Christ. Be imitators of Christ. And allow him to work that in our lives. And you wait and see how much the Lord's going to bless your life. And you're going to be free. And you're going to live in true grace. Society does not dictate what truth is. And unfortunately, the church is saying it does. The Word of God does here. And God loves us enough this morning to tell us through His Word to stay away from those things. Don't be involved. And then in verse 4, as we finish this morning, talking about the sins of the tongue, talking about 
which is offensive to God. Filthiness, which means language that is obscene. Filthy, dirty, telling dirty jokes and story. Foolish talking comes from the Greek word where we get our English word moron. Or in other words, just stupid talk, senseless conversation. Don't join in with it at work, at school. Don't be a moron, all right? Just put it away. Remember that Paul wrote in the previous chapter as, as he says, no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. He, he says, no coarse jesting, which means taking something that is innocent and, and taking an innocent conversation or subject and turning it into something obscene. Put it away. In verse 5, for this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man uh, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul is not telling us, listen, he's not telling us that we can never be forgiven of these sins. There is forgiveness, praise God, and healing and restoration that happens. And that's what the Lord is all about. But what the apostle is writing is a warning. And he is making it very clear that those who make a continual, sustained, and habitual desire to live in sin with no conviction and no desire to change, to be practicing sin, not because Pastor Jeff said so, but you can look up 1 Corinthians chapter 6, also in the book of Galatians, where the apostle writes the same thing. Don't be deceived. You're not going to share in God's kingdom. But put off those things. And those who come along and say you can live a lifestyle of sin, those who come along and say it's okay, those who continue to really ignore God's word on this and continues to practice sin habitually, no conviction, no desire to change. Paul said, examine your heart. You Corinthians, examine to see if you're in the faith. And really, in honesty of your heart, have you settled the issue in your heart of Jesus' lordship in your life? And to be able to come in and sing, set apart for you, Lord. Do you really mean it? Do you really desire? Listen, we all fall short. I know that. And there's forgiveness. But here's a warning that is given. And as he says, don't be partakers with them, he's not saying that we should never talk with them. Of course we do. We want to be a witness to them. We need to be a light to a dark world. We need to be a light and give truth to those who are deceived. We want to be a witness, but what he's saying, don't partake in that. In other words, don't be involved with their sinful lifestyle and conduct and speech. Don't be involved and don't approve it. Don't be partakers of it. If you truly love people and care for them, you will give them truth because God loves them. He loves us and he desires for us to come and know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. And These seven verses are packed with powerful truth that are really needed for us today. And so, Lord, I thank you that we've had opportunity to look at them. And, Father, I do pray, first of all, for perhaps the person who is here who's never surrendered her life to Jesus Christ, that they would do so right now. 
that sin has separated us from God, the scripture says, and we're all sinners. But Jesus came and he rescued us by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And now we're saved by grace through faith, coming and realizing you can't earn your way to heaven, you can't work your way to heaven, but as you come in faith in what Jesus has done for you in dying on the cross and rising again from the grave, you shall be saved and forgiven. The Bible says to repent. That simply means change direction and turn to Jesus. He is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He is the way, period. He's the author of eternal life. There's no other sacrifice for sin. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave. Only Jesus. Will you give your life to him? And you can do that today, right now. Perhaps he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he says, if you open up your heart to me, I will come in and, and fellowship with you and, and forgive you and save you. You'll have a relationship with him. Do that now. You pray, Jesus, I come to you, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. I confess that. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and that you were put into a grave, and you rose again from the grave, and you're alive. And I now open my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my life. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you for loving me and demonstrating your love for me, for dying for me. Thank you for giving me a new beginning. And help me to live for you now all the days of my life. And listen, if you prayed that prayer... For the first time, if you prayed that, will you just put your hand up? Even if you're out in a coffee shop, just put it up and put it down. We got people to minister and want to pray for you. Anybody, we give these invitations at church for salvation because you're just making a decision for the Lord. Anybody at this service at this time? Anybody at all? All right. Now we just got a, a few minutes while our eyes are closed and we're just being still, being sensitive because the Lord's ministering. That these things that we talked about, I know, aren't easy sometimes to hear. But the Lord will bring conviction because he loves you. And he, he desires to bring you conviction to draw you to himself, not to push you away. And for any of these things, perhaps attitudes or the way we speak or how we live, or there's something in your life the Lord's been dealing with you, don't leave this place thinking, well, you know what? That's just hard. No, it's not. It's the Lord loves you enough to give you truth. For you to hear it. For you to come to him right now if he's dealing with you in some area of your life. And to say, Lord, forgive me. And I need to turn away from it because you want me to be free from this attitude or the way that I'm living, a lifestyle. The way that I speak. Because I believe your word is true. And Lord, help me. And Lord, help me to be obedient to you and to pursue that which is right. And Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had together. And I pray that we would all leave this place rejoicing in you because we've been here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.